Hummingbirds were the band that kicked off the alternative music scene in Australia in the 90s. Their career started a little bit earlier, in the late 80s, but no band is truly patient zero for the whole scene. But the Hummingbirds made important moves to step away from what had gone on before, in their music, in their look, and in the way that they approached their career. They were the first to walk down the path that would be the model for alternative Australian bands to follow. They also kicked the cobwebs off the sound of Australian indie rock, offering something brighter and more melodic. Mildly successful, but wildly influential, they would only last a few years. In that time, they made one undisputed classic album that everyone should know, a second album that is underrated and plenty of great singles. They were one of the early success stories, the first truly great band of the Australian 90s alternative music scene, but also one of the first to break up. Welcome to Just Ace, a podcast about the 90s alternative music scene, whatever the hell that means. In this episode, episode four, we look at the career of the Hummingbirds. There is a great story of how the Hummingbirds got signed. It was told in Craig Matheson's excellent book, The Sell-In, and has been told in many interviews before and since. It's a story made for rock music writing, a yarn to put in bios so interviewers can ask you about it and you can tell the story again. It's one of those stories that are too good to be true. It would be a key scene in the Hummingbirds biopic if anyone ever made a Hummingbirds biopic. Yet, it was true. Here's the story. Justin Van Stom was the young A&R guy for the new Sydney label Ruart. I talked about Ruart in episode 3. Fishing around for new bands, Justin went to the source where music fans were going, the indie record stores. I talked about that scene in episode 2. Arriving at Phantom Records in Sydney, he asked a young man behind the counter to play him some new Australian music. That young man was named Simon Holmes, who played him a selection of records, a few of which Van Stom bought. Later on, Van Stom called Phantom Records and asked if Simon could get him the contact of one of the bands he heard, a band called The Hummingbirds. Simon probably found that pretty easy because he was the singer and songwriter in The Hummingbirds. Simon had just played Justin Van Stom, his own excellent band. And shortly after, Van Stom would sign The Hummingbirds to Ruart. Good story, right? Simon Holmes was born in 1963 in Victoria and grew up in Canberra. He was a music-obsessed teenager who formed various bands that didn't go very far, but probably weren't designed to go very far. Still, he wanted to play music, and the place to be was Sydney. Simon, along with his friends Mark Temple on drums and John Boyce on bass, would move to Sydney and find themselves playing around a scene of people wanting to sound like Nick Cave or Radio Birdman. This was Australian indie music in the mid to late 80s. It was right that the band that would kick off the Australian alternative music scene in the 90s came from a reaction to what happened in the 80s. Of course, music history is always this tension of evolution or revolution. In the wake of the Beatles came a whole lot of Beatles wannabes, the best of whom added something like the Birds or the Kinks. But when the Rolling Stones decided to be the anti-Beatles and embrace their messy blues roots, rock and roll grew a new path and it led to Led Zeppelin and others. Personally, I always like revolutions. I like people who look around at what's going on and wants to do something different. Simon Holmes wanted to be in a pop band, rallying against the po-faced masculinity of the Australian indie scene. Simon knew a lot about music, and he loved a lot of it. He was as big a fan of Sisters of Mercy as he was of R.E.M., but in his head in the late 80s, he wanted to make something more pop and less dark. He had a song, Alimony, which had heavy guitars, but also a sweet melody, and a vision for an indie pop band with female vocals. 
He just needed to put the band together. The band found Alana Russack to sing and play guitar, and she added an all-important vocal sweetness to the hummingbird's sound. She had moved to Sydney with the hope of joining a band, and she had grew up singing harmonies with her brother. She would soon be contributing songs and singing lead, as well as adding to that boy-girl harmonies that would define the band's sound. The lineup was ultimately completed by the addition of Robin St. Clair on bass and vocals, who would also write songs for the band later on. The band recorded Simon's song Alimony, an incredible a debut single as issued by any band anywhere at any time in pop music history. It was released as a single on the acclaimed Sydney label Phantom Records, where Simon also worked. Here's the original version of Alimony released on Phantom in 1987. It was all there for the band, a blistering guitar hook backed by big beefy guitars, contrasted by Simon's wonderful melody and lyric, backed with the sweetness of the vocals from Alana. That bright pop sound mixed with a downbeat lyric. Aptly, many years later they would name their greatest hits collection, Contradiction. Tension never sounded so sweet. The band started playing around the Sydney scene and quickly became a band to watch. Three more singles followed for Phantom Records. And some indie snobs I know still think that those four Phantom singles are the best things the band's ever done. They are certainly all wonderful, and they were all released between 1987 and 1988. The band took inspiration from the Smiths and other British bands who released several non-album singles a year. Again, this is very indie rock in the late 80s. The second single, Hindsight, is probably my favourite of the four. Here's Hindsight, released on Phantom Records in 1988. But then Justin Van Storm walked into Phantom Records and everything changed. The Hummingbirds signed to Ruart, a new label funded by a major label. The Hummingbirds were looking for an upgrade to record in better studios and maybe make a living out of playing in a band. The label wanted the next big thing. It happened pretty quickly, but in retrospect, both sides, label and band, wanted something different from each other. The Hummingbirds found themselves on a path to global superstardom, something that would find out later on to be not what they expected because global superstardom for a guitar band in 1990 was about to be redefined in a big way, and no one could have predicted that. Still, in the beginning, the band were more than up for the challenge. They recorded an album in Australia with Mitch Easter, the legendary power popster from the band Let's Active, and had produced many seminal recordings for R.E.M. Simon would also go to the US to oversee the mixing. It was one of the things that Ruart could do, pay for a decent producer and pay for Simon to go overseas. The Hummingbirds had an incredible set of songs that had been road-tested live to adoring audiences. 
The resulting album, called Love Buzz, was released in October of 1989. It is the first great Australian album of the 90s, like how London Calling was released in 1979 and is the greatest album of the 80s. So shut up. The opening track and first single was Blush. Love Buzz is, first and foremost, an exciting record. The band's youth shows as the songs hit frantic tempos rushing by. They have that sweet signature boy-girl harmony flavour mixed with shimmering guitar work. The short songs never overstay their welcome. It's only later that you notice the depth of the lyrics, the details within the production, or the spot-on harmonies. And the songs are incredible. Blush was the big hit that preceded the album, another clear example of their heavy, sweet, happy-sad boy-girl contradictions all fighting and meshing together. The song even charted at a modest 19 in the Australian charts, and it was ultimately their only chart hit. The band appeared on TV's Countdown to perform the song. It reached number one in the alternative chart. I love Blush. To my ears, it still sounds incredibly fresh and incredibly joyous, but I also feel like their big hit could have been any of the many great songs on Love Buzz. It just happened to be the first single of a band whose time had come, who paid their dues, and who was on the right label. It was followed by the equally brilliant Word Gets Around. Here's Word Gets Around from the 1989 album Love Buzz. Well, I know that you've been talking about the things that I said. It really doesn't matter what I say anyway. And I think that you should understand. Word gets around. You've been talking around. It wasn't all frenetic pop rock. The band's other sides were also on show on the album. There's the warm and lovely She Knows, the heavier, grittier House Taken Over, and Alana Russack's wonderful Tuesday. Here's Tuesday with Alana taking the spotlight. sound like other Australian indie bands at the time. There was a pop sheen on top of those wonderfully nasty guitars. Then there was their image, bright and colourful, with two girls up front. Yet it was all played against this indie rock filter of sad lonely lyrics and lack of posture. 
Simon himself was almost an anti-frontman. He did not draw attention in the way that so many Australian lead singers would. From Nick Cave to Peter Garrett to David McComb, Australian music in the 80s was an industry of frontmen. But this was something different and fresh. Love Buzz made some impact on the mainstream, charting at number 31 in the ARIA charts. They were nominated for three ARIA awards in 1990, Best New Talent, Breakthrough Artist Album for Love Buzz, and Breakthrough Artist Single for Blush. It was one small step into the mainstream, but it was one giant step in indie circles. It was loved by Triple J, and the Hummingbirds found themselves on top of the indie scene, headlining shows and indie festivals like Livid, and leading other bands in this new scene like Ratcat, Clouds, Falling Joys, and more. The band then hit the international touring circuit, a young band with a minor hit from Australia. The label paid for the costs, and they pushed the band towards global superstardom. They were written up in US Rolling Stone in March of 89 in a profile of several bands of the college rock scene. The Hummingbirds were there with the Pixies, Soundgarden, Dinosaur Jr. and the brilliant New Zealand band, The Chills. And although this was a fun time, seeing the world and being in a band, the cracks were starting to show. The most important crack was the one developing between the band and the label. The Hummingbirds had never wanted to be international stars, or if they did, they were unprepared for the grind. They wanted to return to the studio and record quickly, but were stuck overseas, bottom of the American ladder, whilst their Australian fan base moved on. Having been so productive every year since they formed, 1990 was the first year where they didn't release any new music at all. The label kept sending them on the road, hoping to capitalise on any success at US radio, which ultimately never came or a big US label deal that also never came through. Ultimately, it was an intense, overwhelming couple of years away, especially for young people who had never really travelled much on their own. Another problem was Ruart had no idea how to market the band. Critics and hip inner-city kids was a start, but that wasn't enough for Ruart. Ruart tried to make the band appear to be more of a mainstream pop band, emphasising the attractive girls up front in shiny film clips. The band quickly rallied against their label. This was one of the big changes in the 90s. A generation of bands that grew up on the 80s alternative scene didn't want manufactured stardom. Credibility was a key word. That relationship between the Hummingbirds and Ruart went to hell. Another album was recorded. If Love Buzz was a joyous affair, then 1991's Va Va Voom is the flip side. Love Buzz bristled with joy and youthful energy, and Va Va Voom sounded slower and darker. Songs like Defiant and Wish the World Away hit a real sadness and anger at their situation. Although some of the songs still sounded fun, Underneath, it wasn't so fun anymore. Vava Voom has all the classic hallmarks of the sophomore slump. That second record come down when the first flush of fame turns out to be not what you expected. This is a classic move, and there's no shortage of these kind of post-fame come down albums throughout the history of rock music. Heck, there were lots of them in the 90s, and there are quite a few that I will talk about in later episodes. Sudden fame, and then sudden no fame. This was the 90s. Although the album lives in the shadow of Love Buzz, there are several great songs on Baba Voom and a great expanding of the Hummingbird sound with more keys and trumpets. Alana's If A Vow was chosen as a single and an expensively recorded film clip to go with it. And it's great. Here's If A Vow by the Hummingbirds. Even better is Lanny's Eyes Grow Feet, a seductive, menacing off-kilter number. 
The second single, Simon's Two Weeks with a Good Man in Niagara Falls, was as frantic and probably the closest thing to the pop rush of their first album. Great record, but with the label losing interest, Baba Voom went nowhere fast, charting at 44 and disappearing. More importantly, the scene was now driven by singles and radio play, and none of the singles caught on. Their label, Ruart, ran out of ideas. It is worth noting at this time the alternative music scene was still so small. In Australia, outside of Triple J, very few people cared for this kind of stuff. It was suggested that the band record a cover version as a means of getting back into the charts. There was some precedent for this. Even a band as crazy and challenging as Faith No More had a hit in 1992 with a cover of Commodore's Easy. Ugly Kid Joe had a hit in 1992 with a cover of Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle. The Hummingbirds chose a song by long-forgotten folk singer Dana Gillespie. The Donovan and Jimmy Page penned You Just Gotta Know My Mind was a rocking departure for Gillespie. The Hummingbirds version was released in 1992 on a standalone EP that also failed the chart. The band did appear on Hey Hey It's Saturday to perform the song, but it didn't help. It was a big primetime mainstream TV show, and the band seemed embarrassed to look directly at the camera. Here's You Gotta Know My Mind by The Hummingbirds. At the end of 1992, everyone was fed up. Drummer Mark Temple left the band, and the band wanted off the label grind to be free to just make music on their own terms. After just three years and two albums and one EP, the band left Ruart. They made an incredible impact, broke down several important barriers in a very short time, and inspired what came next. But they were also suddenly out of a deal, and whatever path to stardom had opened for other bands was now closed to them. The band continued on, recording some well-loved EPs on a smaller indie label. The Tail EP and the Gone EP were both released in 1993 to little fanfare. The band played their last show in December 1993 in Melbourne. Simon played in dozens more bands over the decades, as well as blossoming as a producer for bands like Custard and The Foves. Alana also continued her career, releasing some wonderful solo work. Robin and Mark played less, although Robin would write a couple of songs that would end up hits for other artists, like the Lemonheads. Love Buzz is not really known outside of Australia, and it really should have been a huge album, at least in underground rock circles worldwide. The band was just a little too early, but it's a power pop classic, one that every Australian music fan should know, and every Mojo magazine reader should know, like Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend or something. 
It has all the classic singles everyone needs to hear and re-recordings of two of the early Phantom singles. Musically, they fit in with the pop side of rock at this time. Working with Mitch Easter was a masterstroke as R.E.M. are a very good comparison. They should be remembered with the importance level of bands like the Pixies or the Lars, early but groundbreaking in both the music they made and what they represented. In the mid-90s, Oasis joked that they were finishing the work that the Lars started. Several Australian bands in the 90s made careers of finishing the work that the Hummingbird started. The band and Love Buzz reputation in Australia is growing ever so slowly. Love Buzz was included in a book of the 100 best Australian albums of all time, released in 2010. It was one of the very few 90s albums that you can definitely find on any great Australian albums list. It's definitely one of the critics' favourites. Above and beyond adding one classic album and many classic singles to the mountain of great music, the Hummingbirds helped to give the boys club of Australian indie rock a healthy kicking. Especially live, seeing two women wielding guitars on the front line was significant. The two women in the clouds saw inspiration from the two women in the Hummingbirds, and it is a thread that goes through Australian music, reaching Magic Dirt, Super Jesus and more. And every year the music finds more fans. In 2015, Canadian indie pop band Always started covering Alimony in their live sets. When they toured Australia in 2016, they invited Simon Holmes and Mark Temple to join them on stage. There's great footage on YouTube. They were still covering the song up until 2018, meaning kids that read Spin magazine were reading about the hummingbirds. Here's some audio of Always, along with members of two other bands, Snail Mail and Hatchie, covering Alimony. were the first proof of product that this indie stuff could cross over. It could chart with a little bit of help, like a big name producer and big budgets. But it also showed that it's a fine line between label support and label interference, and there was work to be done that no one had ever considered. I was blessed, more than blessed, to play a couple of shows with the Hummingbirds, playing bass, nominally replacing Robin St. Clair, who doesn't really play anymore. Around 2010, the band had reunited to play the Big Day Out, having been overseas for the festival in their heyday. They also performed a kind of classic album show for Love Buzz. This all came out of my friendship with Simon Holmes, which started with him selling me a copy of Todd Rundgren's Something Anything, still one of my favourite albums to this day, when he ran a record store called Enthusiasms in Sydney. Simon affectionately joked that I was the eighth most popular member of the Hummingbirds. I'll tell one story from my time with the Hummingbirds. We were booked to play the Manning Bar, a sold-out show for about 500 people in Sydney as part of some arts festival. It was a hometown show and people were excited. The time came and the lights went down and Mark, Simon and Lanny hit the stage, followed by me. I walked towards my spot, stage left, where Robin used to stand back in the day. 
And there was a bunch of middle-aged men standing in front of my microphone, waiting for Robin, waiting to see how Robin looked after all these years. Instead, they got me. Never has anyone looked more disappointed to see me. It was hilarious. For me, when I first heard Love Buzz, I was a teenager who just wanted to be in a band and dreamed that that band would be like the Hummingbirds with longtime friends and feel like a gang against the world. That I would one day actually be in that band with those people on that record cover playing those songs is one of the best things to ever happen to me. But my friendship with Simon was about other things. We were both fathers of young children and we used to take our kids to the pool or the park together and navigate that weird world. We both got our pee plates around the same time, late in life, and we would take turns driving. He lived down the road from me and it was the drives home, playing each other music and talking about bands that I will remember. So many of my memories of Simon are in cars, talking about everything and nothing. They are conversations that I will treasure, that I will keep to myself. We didn't really talk that much about the hummingbirds. Simon Holmes died in 2017. I miss him every day. Here is one of the more rare songs that we played in those reunion shows and a personal favourite. Rainy Daydream was the B-side of their 1988 single, Hindsight. Hummingbirds were the right band at the right time. Coming out of the extremely dour 80s indie scene, they were the optimism and sparkle of a new decade that mixed jangly guitars and girlboy vocals in an anti-pop star way. And the industry around them were looking for something fresh to sell. Yet the Hummingbirds were the wrong band at the wrong time. Australia was still all about pop magazines and commercial radio, and no one knew what to do with bands other than to put them on the road, and the Hummingbirds were just not that kind of road warrior band. Very soon, the managers and the labels would learn that sending a band off to the world so quickly didn't work, and that there had to be a fan base at home. They also learned that these indie bands couldn't do the same promotional game as the super manicured corporate rock that came before, and an alternative circuit of magazines, TV shows, festivals and the like had yet to be born. But we'll get to all that. There is a greatest hits called Contradiction that has some of the early Phantom singles. For my money, Love Buzz and Contradiction are both utterly essential. Vavavoom is pretty great too. And to be honest, the catalogue is kind of in a shambles. Their masters having gone from buyout to buyout. There needs to be a deluxe edition of Love Buzz. Vinyl reissues. The lot. And they should take their place in history too. They don't get mentioned in the same breath as 80s greats like The Saints and The Go-Betweens or others, and they are left out of the 90s lists for being too early. But they are one of the best, most important bands Australia has ever produced.
This episode, I have to thank Craig Matheson again and his wonderful book, The Sell-In, who captures the story of the hummingbirds, especially from an industry point of view. I promise this podcast isn't just an audio version of The Sell-In, but these early episodes, I really have to acknowledge Matheson's work. There's a blog post to go with this article and there'll be a heap of stuff. There'll be a selection of YouTube clips, including the band performing on various TV shows and various cover versions. I've also put together a personal playlist of my favourite Hummingbird songs. Thanks for listening. This is the first of the occasional band profile series I'm going to do. Basically, I'm working my way through the years and for every year, I'm picking out one band to highlight. 1990 was the Hummingbirds and another for 91, for 92, etc. As usual, find more on the website or follow me on social media, justace90s.com or justace as a social media handle. And that's justace90s. I didn't think about it when I bought the URL that I will be doing a podcast. I've been getting some nice comments about the show notes and there's playlists on there and other photos. So go check it out. You can support me on Patreon. Thanks to the new patrons this week. There's only one support tier at the moment, but things are going well. And I definitely have a few ideas coming down the line for patrons. It's a pretty cheap Patreon too. So please consider just helping me keep this independent and ad free. That's really all I'm asking. And please, leave me a review. There's been some really nice reviews of Just Ace on Apple Podcasts. Those written reviews and those five-star ratings really help, because guess what? It helped to get me to be the number one music podcast in Australia last week, and 125th overall, which is amazing. It's just, I'm really humbled by it. Okay, next week, there's a lot more music, albums, bands, singles from 1990 to talk about. Kind of. Start again.